Shri Damodar Janani by Shivaram Swami Chapter 7 Madhya Shoda Conquers Krishna Evam Sandarshita Hyanga Harina Britta Vyasata Swabhashena Pi Krishnena Yasyedam Sheshwaram Vashe O Maharaj Pirikshit, this entire universe, with its great exalted demigods like Lord Shiva, Lord Brahma, and Lord Indra, is under the control of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Yet the Supreme Lord has one transcendental attribute. He comes under the control of his devotees. This was now exhibited by Krishna in this pastime. Srimad Bhagavatam 10.9.19 The supremely competent controlling potency of the Lord, the Bhivu Shakti, continued to observe Krishna's mood. My Lord remained stubborn as ever. While he persists thus, I must continue to ensure Madhya Shoda's effort to tie him remains insufficient, making every additional length of rope the same two-finger width short. Krishna's Satya Sankalpa Shakti commented, The queen has not been discouraged by her lack of success. Instead, she has become increasingly anxious to do what she thinks is best for him. The Vivu Shakti replied, As much anxiety as the Lord's mother feels, it is not yet enough. How is that? Please explain it to me. Dear lady, the two-finger width gap represents Yashoda Devi's anxiety and the Lord's special compassion for her. When her anxiety reaches a fever pitch, then the special mercy, the Kripa Shakti, will descend. And at that time my powers will be nullified and the rope tied. If I understand well, the Lord will submit to his mother when he sees intense fatigue or intense effort in serving him. That is correct. As it is said, Drishva Prishrama Krishna Kripaya Sit Swabandane. Seeing his mother thus fatigued, he became merciful to her and agreed to be bound. Then the lesson from this pastime is that although the Lord has no beginning nor end, no inside nor outside, he can be contained and controlled by his devotee's intense love. Yes. May we too be blessed by such ardent attachment to him. And Krishna's huff prevailed. He knew that there were too many ropes in his home. After all, it was a king's palace. Yet he was unwilling to submit to his mother, even if they were all brought forth. If mother succeeds in her effort, my friends will taunt me and make me the laughing stock of the village. How can I acquiesce to such a calamity? As unsuccessful as her attempts were, Yashoda Devi would not give up. With great concentration and effort, she continued to tie together one rope after the other. Krishna lamented, Why did Madhi Rohini have to select this day to visit Upananda? Had she had been here, she would have stopped Mother from carrying on in this way. Oh, Brother Balaram, where are you? Undoubtedly, Balaram's mother would have deemed Yashoda's effort excessive, and she would have prevailed upon Yashoda to stop. But with Rohini absent, Mother Yashoda was relentless. 
So the pastime continued, a pastime unique to Krishna's descent. Only in Yashoda Devi's attempt to bind Krishna did he simultaneously manifest the contradictory qualities of being unlimited and limited, of displaying supreme power and supreme sweetness. Unaware who her son was and how his energies worked, Yashoda reasoned. Gargamuni predicted that this boy would possess divine powers. Yet I can see that, unaware of his own mystique, he continues to cry and rub his eyes. Marveling at the wonder of her son, Madhya Shoda's heart overflowed with maternal affection, and she became even more determined to correct him. While embracing Krishna, she called for more and more churning ropes and kept tying them together one after the other. But the result was ever the same. The elderly gopis spoke among themselves. How unusual. Yashoda can tie her arms around her son, but not ropes. How is this possible? No matter how hard she tries, Yashoda is unable to realize her plan. Such an over-endeavor. Why doesn't she give up? One angry gopi added, In my home, Children break clay jugs all the time. And you don't tie them up. Yashoda Devi should give up this excessive conduct. It does not become a queen to beat this boy and tie him up all over a clay pot. And so they spoke. And while doing so, they laughed in amazement. And they laughed at the futility of Yashoda's determination. Although these gopis were Yashoda's subjects, they were also her friends some even her seniors. Therefore, they did not consider it out of place to laugh gently at their queen. When Yashoda saw the gopi smiling, she also began to smile, first bashfully at her motherly folly, then widely at the unfolding events. She thought, What are these wonders? A hundred hand lengths of rope fail to tie Krishna's little waist. No matter how much I try, the rope remains short by two fingers. Not one, not three, not four, but two. Noticing Yashoda Devi's contemplation, the gopis joked good-naturedly, Yashoda is our queen. She is the king's advisor in matters of state. And yet, she cannot even tie her own baby. Intoxicated with Krishna's influence, Yashoda smiled to hear the ladies. O oh, queen, do you not see that supernatural forces are at work in your king's realm? Even with all the ropes in your storeroom, you fail to tie the, this tiny boy's waist. Jeweled anklets encompass his feet. Golden bracelets surround his waist. But silken ropes fail to encircle his belly. Listen to us. Lord Burma has written auspiciousness on the forehead of this child and one stanza says that he cannot be tied up. It is written on his forehead. Why challenge fate? Give up this endeavor. Yashoda Devi acknowledged their wisdom with a nod of her head. Nonetheless, she was determined to do whatever it took to conquer her son's abdomen. She had undertaken tying him just after sunrise, and although the sun had begun its descent, her efforts remained fruitless. Yashoda muttered, Tying him is like tying a young elephant. The intensity of 
Ishoda Devi's devotion heightened her dazzling beauty and the radiance of that beauty reflected within the sapphire mirror of Krishna's form. Although Yashoda was heated from chasing Krishna, to him her body was cool and refreshing as the waters of the Yamuna. Unable to look at her face to face, Krishna kept his head lowered, relishing his mother's beauty with transcendental senses. To his eyes, her blackish arms appeared like glistening dark vines wet with morning dew. And to a sense of touch, her loosened hair felt like the caress of a peacock fan. To his nose, her heavy breathing was a spring breeze laden with the scent of forest flowers. And to his ears, her heartbeat was the softly rolling thunder that sang the sankirtan of his names. As soothing drops of perspiration fell from her forehead, and a gentle shower they touched his limbs and called out, Oh boy, be kind to your mother. Finally he looked up and smiled. Yashoda was comforted by Krishna's smile, but remained indifferent to it. She knew that he could charm birds out of trees, and she was determined not to fall under the spell of his charisma. Overwhelmed by fatigue and frustration, she sat down on the mortar to review her plan. This one seemed ineffective. Detecting her hesitation as a favorable sign, the gopis tried to influence her. O oh friend, O oh monarch, this boy Krishna does not want to be embarrassed in front of his friends. After all, if he is the supreme lord, you cannot accomplish anything he is not favorable to. The gopis sang in a chorus. Therefore, give up your struggle. Lowering her head, Yashoda thought, He may be the supreme lord, but he is also my son. Feeling somewhat refreshed and still confident of her strategy, she concluded, If he is, then we will just have to collect enough rope to encircle the Supreme Lord. Casting aside his childishness, Krishna reasoned with the mind of God. She is so determined to discipline me. Such devotional resolve must be honored and rewarded. After a moment, he added, Perhaps... I should give up my stubbornness and let her have her way. That may be the wisest course of action. Gradually, the lotus of Krishna's heart opened, and as it did, compassion for his mother's hard labor diffused throughout his being. Taking heed of Mother Yashoda's hard labor, the mercy potency, Kripa Shakti, made known its influence in him, an influence that would quickly dispel the Vibhu Shakti. When I am inspired by the excessive labor of my devotee, Bhakti Parishram, then compassion arises within me. The combination of these two, their effort and my mercy alone, can purchase me nothing else. Eager to convey this truth to his mother, from within his heart Krishna revealed the significance of the two missing fingers. In this way, Yashoda realized the import of the elusive gap and the absolute identity of her son. Momentarily, she understood that Krishna was the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and for a moment she marveled, but only for a moment. Yashoda's love for Krishna was the love of a mother for her son, and that love was much stronger than any sense of admiration for God. As quickly as knowledge of his divinity arose in her heart, that quickly it submerged in 
the ocean of maternal love. And as soon as it did, she once again set about trying to bind him. Krishna was awed. My divinity had no significance to her. The elder gopis were also privy to Yashoda's epiphany. As a result, they gave up all desire to return home and instead stood motionless, staring at Krishna with unblinking eyes. When maternal love also overcame them, they quietly murmured, What is this magic? That magic was the pageant of subduing the Supreme Lord. The rising compassion in Krishna's heart whispered, Give yourself to her. Do as she wills. Krishna was fascinated. How is this happening? All the ropes in creation cannot bind me. How could they? My form is made of bliss, knowledge, power, and consciousness. How could anyone hope to contain me? Who has no inside or outside? Who is inside and outside everything? Who is no beginning or end? Who is the beginning and end of everything? How could anyone triumph over me? over infinite powers and endless proportions. But I feel that this Gopi Queen is doing just that. And she was. The tide had turned in the battle of wills. Impelled by his Kripa Shakti, the all-powerful Lord had to decide to allow Madhya to bind him. Although Krishna had descended to earth to broadcast his unlimited qualities, especially his submission to his devotees, it was his love for his mother and her love for him that were the deciding factors in agreeing to be bound. That reciprocity of love was so intense that erased from his mind the purpose of his incarnation. His only remaining thought was, I can no longer tolerate mother's distress. I must save her from further anger and frustration. Thus, Krishna agreed to be bound. Not because being bound was a part of his eternal pastime, but because his mother wanted it. Throughout the morning, Mother Yashoda had maintained her insistence that Krishna was her son, and that she would not relinquish an effort to bind him. Finally, between the determination of the devotee and the determination of the Lord, the determination of the devotee prevailed. In this way, Krishna abandoned his childish stubbornness. Radiating from his heart, the Kripa Shakti addressed the other two potencies, saying, O great ones, it is now time that you withdraw your influence. Our Lord has changed his mood and desires to submit to Queen Yashoda. The Satyasankalpa and Vibhu Shakti replies, O Empress, who rules over us, O Chakravartini, it shall be as you command. May you increase the glories of the Supreme Person. Having spoken thus, the two potencies withdrew from the Lord, and their influence faded like the rays of the setting sun. As the Vibhu Shakti exhibited indifference to the ropes challenging Krishna, it became possible to bind him. Meanwhile, as eager as Mother Shoda had been to bind Krishna, she was now equally exhausted from her exertions. Exhaustion, combined with the day's experience, brought her to the conclusion that Krishna could not be bound. That boy, whose limbs were encircled with bangles, anklets, and a belt, could not be encircled by all the ropes of the village. The gopis called out, O queen, 
You could not bind your son by tying together every rope in this kingdom. He is blessed as a liberated soul, no material condition, and hence no rope can ever touch him. Give up the idea of binding him. Mother Yashoda wiped her brow and reflected on what was just said. Give up the idea of binding him? She sighed. So be it. At the same moment, Krishna decided, I submit. Under ordinary circumstances, Krishna would have remained unbound. But Mother Yashoda had been knotting the ropes for hours. Although she decided to stop by the agency of Yogamaya, her hands continued their momentum. And so she tied one more knot. And that was the knot which bound Krishna. That was the knot which was no longer than two fingers short. As soon as Krishna was bound, the hundred lengths of rope miraculously appeared and fell in a carpet around him. Seeing this, Yashoda was bewildered. Looking more closely, she saw that Krishna's belly was now bound with two silken cords, the two hair ties that she had taken from her braid. Only those cords could contain Krishna. All the other ropes for churning had no consequence. How amazing! Not quite believing her eyes, Madhya Shoda now consciously tied together the two ends of the ropes into a knot. They held. She tightened it even more, then quickly tied one more knot. She blinked to clear her eyes. The knots were still there. Krishna was bound. The gopis let out a collective sigh of wonder. All of Gokul fell silent. Every day Yogamaya had influenced Madhyashoda to think that Krishna's displays of divinity were simply a magical illusion, and in the ecstasy of service to him, maternal love had made her quickly forget those wonders. So it was binding him at the waist. No sooner had she completed the impossible task of binding him than Madhyashoda moved on to the next task at hand. She took the rope that she had tied to the mortar and connected it to the cord encircling Krishna's waist. Having thus taught him a lesson, Yashoda Devi proceeded to scold him one last time. I hope you will now learn your lesson and follow the saintly conduct of your father instead of the mischief of the monkeys. There was that monkey insult again. The gopis and the children gradually crowded around Krishna. Some augmented Yashoda's chastisement. Others offered words of consolation. Yet others stared in silent wonder. Remembering the turmoil in her home, Yashoda Devi turned to leave, but then stopped to address her son. Seeing that he was dusty, she squatted beside him and cleaned his soft limbs. My dear friend of the monkeys, now that you are bound to this mortar, you will stay here where you are until I clean up the chaos that you made. In the meantime, there will be no play and no toys. When I'm done, then I shall come for you, and you can go see the Diwali celebrations. Do you understand? Krishna sheepishly lowered his head, feeling completely humiliated before his friends. He whimpered, Yes, mother. Yashoda Devi embraced Krishna and repeatedly kissed his cheeks eyes, and forehead. You started this day off as a troublemaker. Now finish it as a good boy. Turning to Subhal, 
and some other gopis Krishna's age, Ishoda said, You boys stay here and keep an eye on your friend. If he tries to untie himself or to inaugurate some mischief, immediately inform me. Yes, Maharani, they replied. When Yashoda again embraced and kissed her son, the gopis said, O oh, prince, now that you are bound, Dhamma, around the belly, Udara, we shall call you Damodara. His friends echoed this new name, Damodara, Damodara. In his current humiliated condition, Krishna thought the name just added insult to injury. Damodar, Damodar, that is how everyone will now tease me. As time passed, and the Damodar Lila became a fond memory, Krishna would treasure that name as one of his favorites. At present, though, it sounded like an insult, and he made known his displeasure with a wry face. Rising to her feet, Yashoda Devi turned to her friends, and with a victorious smile invited them to help her. In the company of laughing neighbors, she returned to the palace, leaving behind Krishna, who was dearer to her than life. As with the milk boiling on the stove, Yashoda again left Krishna's company because she considered the service of cleansing his home to be more important. Service to Krishna takes precedence over being with him. The moment Yashoda and her friends left, Krishna cast aside his sad face and false tears. He assumed a composed demeanor and filled the courtyard with the moonlight of his smile. Making the best of his predicament, he boasted to his friends, Just see how I kept my mother at bay. The boys answered, It was a memorable exhibition. Now, tied to this mortar, what will you do? Krishna smiled lovingly at his friends, and then looked down the hill to the two Arjuna trees, worshipped by the Rajvasis. Out loud he said, Let me think. And to himself he thought, Whatever I do, I must deliver those trees. With Mother Yashoda and her entourage gone, the monkey friends of Krishna approached to show their sympathy. A few screeched disapproval, and then sat down a distance from the playful cowherd boys. What a shameful thing to do, tie a prince to a mortar. Some demigods and sages were of similar opinion. What a shameful thing to do, tie the Supreme Lord as if he were a naughty calf. Even if the gopis were ignorant, did fate not consider that he was being belittled by such treatment? Thus a controversy arose between the celestials. They exchanged views on whether, by allowing himself to be bound, Krishna had diminished or enhanced his stature as the Supreme Lord. The demigods agreed that all of them, up to Lords Burma and Shiva, were under the control of just a plenary portion of Krishna, the Paramahatma. Then what to speak of being controlled by Krishna himself? The demigods continued to converse, each expressing their own thoughts. So this little boy who is now bound to the motor is certainly the undisputable controller of countless diverse universes. And yet he remains fully independent and the object of affection for hundreds and thousands of goddesses of fortune. How then, please continue, if he is omnipotent, self-sufficient, and self-satisfied, how then is he hungry for milk or annoyed when his mother stops feeding him? Another deva added, well said. 
how is it that we see him running in fear of his mother, crying like an ordinary child, and when caught overcome by some ropes? We agreed earlier this is not a drama on the part of the Lord, but expressions of emotion with which he fully identifies. How then is one who is self-satisfied, also hungry, angry, fearful, light-fingered, and distressed to the point of tears? Good question. Demigods are always eager to understand better their Lord and to bask in the sankirtan of his attributes. Having contacted a train of thought that was like a shower of heavenly nectar, they became so engrossed in talking about Krishna that for a while they forgot his activities below. One great deva addressed the others. In this regard, let me quote what was written by a personal associate of Lord Krishna. Please do. This Vaishnava author is a great soul who has reached the far shore of devotional knowledge through service and surrender. He once said, Although he is in full in himself, the Supreme Lord nonetheless wants all living entities to surrender unto him so they may engage in his service. Thus he becomes satisfied. Although he is full in himself, he nonetheless becomes pleased when his devotees offer him patram pushpam palam toyam elif flour, fruit, or water in devotion. Sometimes the Lord, as the child of Mother showed, request his devotee some food, as if he were very hungry. Sometimes he tells his devotees in a dream that his temple and his garden are now very old and that he cannot enjoy them very nicely. Thus he requests the devotee to repair them. Sometimes he is buried in the earth, as if unable to come out, he requests his devotee to rescue him. Sometimes he requests his devotee to preach his glories all over the world, although he alone is quite competent to perform this task. All the demigods were silent, drinking these words like a thirsty man devours water. And yet there was more. Even though the Supreme Lord is endowed with all possessions and is self-sufficient, he depends on his devotees. Therefore, the relationship with the Lord and with his devotee is extremely confidential. Only the devotees can perceive how the Lord, although full in himself, depends on his devotee for some particular work. This is explained in the Bhagavad Gita, where the Lord tells Arjuna, Nimitta matram bhavasavyasachin. O Arjuna, merely be an instrument in the fight. Lord Krishna had the competence to win the battle of Kurukshetra, but nonetheless, he induced his devotee Arjuna to fight and become the cause of victory. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was quite competent to spread his name and mission all over the world, but still he depended upon his devotee to do this work. Considering all these points, the most important aspect of the Supreme Lord's self-sufficiency is that he depends on his devotees. This is called his causeless mercy. The devotee who has perceived this causeless mercy of the Supreme Personality of God and by realization can understand the Master and the Servant. The Devas finished speaking, and all were silent. After a moment he concluded with his own summary. We all know that the Lord is complete. He is Purna. But he can only be so if he is not just independent, but also dependent. Otherwise, how is he complete? Indeed, his independence is shown by his desiring to be and his being dependent on others.
Who are those others? He does not seem to be dependent on us. He is dependent on his devotees. Are we not devotees? We are. But the Lord is dependent on pure devotees. Or to be more precise, he is dependent on the love of his devotees. Prema alone controls him. And those who have prema, they alone are his overlords. Do you have prema? A moment of silence gave answer to that question. A senior demigod concluded that our Lord is bound by ropes of his devotee's love is the supreme ornament. It is not his defect. Love is the essence of his spiritual chit potency, and as such it gives him the greatest pleasure, for like us he is always seeking pleasure. Rasovai Saha. This dependence on his loving servant is called Bhakta Anugraha his mercy on devotees. An elusive deva added, If the Lord was not merciful, then his heart would be not soft. And if his heart were not soft, then he would not be all attractive. Exactly. How could he be devoid of the fountainhead of all good qualities, mercy? If the absolute truth were not compassionate, it would be impersonal in the way that the Mayavadis postulate. The Pumshavana vow confirms that it is through his mercy in the form of dependence on his devotee that the Lord assumes his opulent powers and divine qualities. Does the Lord distribute his mercy equally to all his associates? Not as far as I know. Correctly. As we all know, the Lord reciprocates proportionally. That means his mercy is proportional to the surrender of his devotees. And he also continues to remain independent through all exhibition of dependence or mercy. Ah, yes. The Lord's omnipotence is not compromised. He simultaneously always remains independent. How amazing! Is he not wonderful? He certainly is. While sleeping on the lap of his mother, his all cognizance is fully awake. For example, although he is tied, he will still give mercy to the two Arjuna trees, Kubera's cursed sons. Full of admiration, a demigod effused. It would seem that Lord Krishna's disposition to be controlled by his devotees increased his magnificence. Indeed, it doubles his godliness. Correct. But remember that the Lord's quality of bhakti anugraha is not exclusive to Lord Krishna. It is found in Lord Narayan as well as in the Lord's incarnations. Let us recall what Lord Narayan told Durvasamuni. Aham bhakta paradino yava santrantra. Aham bhakta paradino yasva tantra ivadhija. I am completely under control of my devotees. Indeed, I am not at all independent. Moreover, when the Lord places himself under a devotee's control, he is not enacting a drama. His dependence on his well-wishers is his all-encompassing reality, a dependence that he experiences through and through. As a result, he becomes afraid and hungry. Yes, if a devotee threatens him, he must be afraid. And if a devotee wants to feed him, he must be hungry. Sabam vimohyati. This is bewildering to me. 
and to us all. The demigods looked towards little Krishna in appreciation. Bound to the mortar, Krishna still found ways to play with his friends, friends who were pure devotees wanting to play with him as a child. And so he was just doing that. And as Krishna relished his play, the sound of his childish laughter reached to the heavens. Krishna appreciated the demigods' praises, but he wanted them to give recognition to his mother. His displaying the Damodar Leela was possible only by her grace. Situated in the demigods' hearts, in the same way that he was seated in the dust of Gokula, Krishna inspired the devas to praise Mother Yashoda. Has anyone ever bound Krishna before? Not that I can remember. But others have been the object of his mercy. We know that the Creator has been favored by the Lord. And the Lord stood night guard for the Pandavas like common watchmen. But this is different. Because the loving devotion of Raja's queen far outstrips that of Maharaj Yudhishthir and of Lord Brahma, she was able to do something that no one else had ever done before or will do in the future. The demigods hushed and searched for a glimpse of Mother Yashoda to purify their eyes and hearts. But they could not see her. She was out of sight, diligently cleaning up the mess made by her darling son. One deva broke the silence. Santarshata What we have seen this exalted gopi achieve is her exclusive prerogative. There is no devotion greater than hers. By the Lord's grace, we have seen the upper limit of bhakti and the degree to which it controls him. It ties him up in the way that one would tether a bull to a stake. Audit by Mother Yashoda's good fortune and by the privilege of witnessing her devotion, the demigods offered prostrate obeisances in the direction of her palace. By doing so, they hoped to receive her blessings. Seeing the respects given to his mother, Krishna was pleased in thought. I've appeared in Vraj to let the world know how I am enslaved by the love of pure devotees. I want everyone to know how devotees prema awakens in me divine characteristics that bewilder even the most learned scholars. I am the eternal desire tree that fulfills everyone's cravings, but without the comforting touch of my mother, I am incomplete. I am satisfied in myself and lack nothing. But when the gopis churn yogurt thinking of me, I become hungry. I am the personification of transcendental goodness, but if my friends taunt me, I become angry. I am the proprietor of all things, but to enjoy a special relish of eating others' butter, I steal. Fear personified fear is the slightest movement of my eyebrows, but when my mother raises a stick, I am afraid. Although I cannot be contained within the mind of the accomplished yogis, still my mother catches me. I am the condensed form of transcendental bliss, but when my mother neglects me, I am unhappy. And although I am all-pervading, without beginning or end, still my mother has managed to tie me to this mortar. These contradictory characteristics arise when my divinity is confronted with and submits to the love of my devotees. When the demigods see these paradoxes, they become bewildered or sometimes forget that I am their Lord. Indeed, the influence of loving devotion is so powerful that I myself forget my divinity and think 
that I am the object of my devotee's love. Thus I became a plaything in their hands and love it. <laughs> 